You are now listening to the Build a Brain podcast with Dr. Jeannie Zayer. Join the quest to shape an efficient brain that fires on all cylinders and runs like a fine-tuned machine. You are now in the capable hands of an international presenter and a pathologically optimistic brain builder. Dr. Zaire will give you the right blocks to build that three pounds of cerebral muscle for you, your child, or the young adult you teach or mentor. Block by block, thought by thought, now is the time to build a better brain. Let's get started. Welcome, friends, to Build a Brain. I'm so excited about this episode because this is just a dear friend. David Martin and I have worked side by side in the Feuerstein community on a multiple of projects, and we live very, very far away. He's way out east. I'm in the Midwest, but we still have a real kinship. I consider him a, a friend as much as I do a professional colleague. So, David, welcome to Build a Brain. Thank you very much, and I appreciate that. Very nice introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you on Build a Brain, David. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, like where where you live, and what was your educational background? We're currently living on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, where we've lived uh, since retiring in 2001. Uh, My educational background uh, is uh, I have a... uh, BA from Yale and a couple of degrees from Harvard. And then my doctorate is from Boston College. And I've spent a career in various forms of education, including teaching, school principal, curriculum director and professor, and then ultimately dean of the School of Education at Gallaudet University in Washington, DC. You have yeah. such a rich background. And oh my, um, just, I, I can't even imagine your Vita, you know, to read everything that you've accomplished in your lifetime. So I love to always ask this question because the answers are always really good. So where, where were you the day that you discovered Feuerstein? I remember actually quite well. It was in 1978. Uh, and uh, I was working as a, a part-time, uh, in addition to being a curriculum director, uh, with the a course called Man, a course of study published by uh, Curriculum Development Associates. And that, of course, was a product of the National Science Foundation grant in the 1960s. And uh, the, uh, 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 the publisher of Man, a course of study, with whom I had worked, said to me, David, I want to show you this new program that is really exciting. And she uh, arranged for Arthur Costa and me to meet with her over a period of three different days uh, in a row. And she introduced us to the instruments in the standard version of instrumental enrichment. And I remember very vividly being, uh, after the first half hour, being a little bit puzzled about all of those dots on a page. And I didn't at first quite get the relevance, but then of course it became clear uh, about the importance of pattern finding and uh, everything that we do. Uh, so that was 1978. I became a trainer uh, within a couple of years and then had a chance to wow. uh, institute it in uh, various different uh, classrooms and schools. 
Wow, beautiful. Yeah, I, th- I think everybody remembers the day that they um, were impacted, first met. They either met Reuven Feuerstein or they met someone who said, I've got to show you something. And uh, for me, it was a webinar and Reuven was on the webinar and I'm like, oh, who's this guy? I couldn't even spell his name, but I knew he had something different. And it to me, it was a message of hope. One thing that I've learned about you is you've been very, very active in in the deaf community using this program. I'm always hearing about you flying to South Africa or somewhere to teach deaf educators. So how did that come together? Uh, well, I, uh, in 1980, became the coordinator of a brand new program at Gallaudet University that was going to prepare uh, <clears throat> uh, deaf college students to get qualified in hearing education as a prerequisite to being able to get a graduate degree in deaf education. And that was a fascinating experience in itself because although the curriculum would be very familiar to all of us who've been to teacher education programs, uh, the key thing of course is how would a deaf person carry out a required internship for 10 weeks full time all day every day in a hearing classroom? And uh, of course, the answer to that was a team with the student teacher, our intern, and a sign language interpreter, a professional sign language interpreter. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of stories uh, that occurred uh, in that implementation. But back to instrumental enrichment, uh, one of the positive aspects of the university, which is in Washington, D.C., is that it has a model elementary school and a model secondary school on the campus. And I said, aha, this is a chance to do some research on site to find out the impact of cognitive education on deaf learners, which at that point had been very dismissed as being only able to think concretely, not abstractly, uh, suffering from low expectations by uh, hearing people and the like. And so I set out to demonstrate that the cognitive potential of deaf students is the same as the potential for hearing students. And you notice I emphasize the word potential because there's a difference between potential and achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that uh, was uh, a my first implementation of the program over a two-year period in a controlled experiment uh, with a control group that um, uh, we used a variety of different uh, measures. And at the end, we were able to demonstrate statistically uh, that uh, the deaf students had the same range of cognitive potential as hearing students. And from that on, uh, then uh, I was able to branch out and did some work in a variety of schools for the deaf and eventually was invited to come and do the same thing uh, in South Africa in uh, several different settings, uh, both for deaf education as well as for hearing uh, schools. And that uh, ultimately led to my being uh, named visiting professor at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa, which I still uh, am. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. I, I've just always been fascinated by that that work that you've done with Feuerstein being such a visual program. It's like, well, yes, it's a perfect fit 
for um, people who are deaf, who are going through the world very, very differently than we are, but yet have just the same intellectual, like you said, potential and beautiful that you were able to prove that. Hmm. Curious if you've ever had an opportunity or maybe your first time, because I know this has happened repeatedly, but can you share a story of an opportunity that you truly watched a child or an adult be completely transformed that really touched you? Well, that's uh, very difficult to pick out a moment, uh, but um, I, I guess I can say, I'll give you an example of the uh, experience with some deaf students who were, I think, about 15 to 16 years old, and they were working with the comparison instrument in IE standard. And this is not a particularly emotional thing, but it does give an insight. Uh, they were wrestling with the item that was find the similarities and differences between earring and ring. And I have the, a, a, a video recording of this interchange, and they had a deaf teacher, and the deaf teacher was doing a great job of mediation, posing the question, coaching, uh, and so on. And at the first, uh, the uh, students talked about the differences and they discussed, well, uh, <clears throat> ear and finger. And then there was an interesting little side that, well, you not only can you uh, put an earring on your ear, but everywhere else in your body. <laughs> but in any case, then they had to come to the similarity and they were wrestling with this and uh, they said well they both have the letters r-i-n-g and they said well that's not it that's just the way the the, the word appears on paper and finally one student uh, says oh, let's see it's things you wear in your body um what's the word for that and one student said jewelry they said jewelry that's it that's it so i talk about this example to show that the deaf students had the concept Mm -hmm. They simply didn't have the word. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a very important difference. So that's um, a, 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 an insightful moment. This episode of Builder Brain Podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. Here on Builder Brain Podcast, we're on a mission to empower your cognitive journey and you can be a part of it. Join our Patreon community and get early access to episodes, Q&A sessions with experts, and exclusive brain-building exercises. Support the show that supports your brain. Visit us on Patreon using the link in the show notes and become a Patreon member today. Your support makes a big difference. Thank you for being curious and for helping us build better brains. Back to the episode. How does that make you feel when you see students have that insight? How would you describe what that does in you? I think it makes all of the effort rewarding. And also, I'd have to say, in some cases, it's a bit emotional, uh, particularly when you've seen the student struggle uh, and, and yet not giving up. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to see a breakthrough, uh, yeah. it, it is partly an emotional experience, but it's also, of course, an aha. And you as the mediator have courage to go on with the next task with the student. Yeah, my team here at MindCap, we talk about and share the success stories of when students have big breakthroughs and and we laugh and cry together and talk about this is why we get up in the morning. This is why we do this work that we do. So you have had such a rich 
life, David, and have have traveled all over the world. You've done just some incredible work. What would be one thing that has probably been the most impactful part of your journey, particularly with Feuerstein, I'm curious, that's been the most impactful on your life? Well, I guess uh, it's a sort of an insight. Um, I uh, I did work in about 13 states with uh, uh, training in instrumental enrichment so far, and that's with both the hearing and, and deaf uh, learners and instructors. Uh, and then uh, I branched out and did some work in England, and then I got a, a grant to do uh, some work in China. I went to China 13 times and did a comparative study wow. of uh, instrumental enrichment in terms of its success in a cross-cultural way. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, I had a Chinese interpreter and they had a, uh, a, a sign language interpreter as well. And so uh, this was a comparative study involving the U.S., People's Republic of China and England. And I got the same results that I referred to having gotten at the uh, model secondary school for the deaf in Washington years earlier. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my work in South Africa uh, was uh, extensive, including the National School for the Deaf. Mm-hmm. And if I summarize all that, uh, I would say the insight I got was this is truly cross-national, cross-cultural, and cross-linguistic. Mm. And, of course, uh, we've all read the uh, works published by the Feuerstein Institute and know that the program has been and is being used in a variety of countries. Uh, but uh, this particular insight came in a, a kind of a flash to me in the 1990s uh, and as a, as a direct result of uh, implementing it in a, in a variety of not only languages, but also cultures. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's an example. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I, I know my big aha moment was also uh, related to yours in a bit. I was in South Africa doing training and I walked outside after about the third day of training and I was just like floating on air. I just felt like this is what I have been called to do. The cross-cultural work is so powerful and impactful that you can, with a translator, I've already had the double translation like you. I had a a translator in Thailand who had to have, we had to have another translator for a third language because somebody didn't know the Thai language, but somebody translated from the Thai to a third language. And so you're listening to your words that you've been spoken, that you've spoken. Somebody put them in another language and then they go into sign language or they go into, you know, even a, a third language. And it gives you time to think about what am I going to say next? That's I, right, it does. <laughs> and don't you think it makes you a better trainer? Oh, it does. Uh, um, the uh, when I was doing the work in China, uh, I had to pause for translation into uh, Mandarin, but the Mandarin was simultaneously translated into sign language. So it was not a double weight. Yeah. But yes, it does give you a little time to say, okay, what am I going to say next? <laughs> <laughs> and I liked that. I, I enjoyed that part too. Well, another question that just now popped into my head is what would you say is our next big step in America? What 
what could we do in maybe even North America, this side of the pond, to promote this incredible program that you and I have dedicated a lot of years to already? Well, I think the bottom line uh, has to be a, uh, a double impact. Uh, <clears throat> and I have to admit some professional frustration at having tried and not succeeded in this. I'm referring to getting into the teacher education programs mm -hmm. in the universities. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to start with this as a component of uh, the time when teachers are actually learning to be teachers. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I was in an institution and involved in a teacher education program, I made some attempts to uh, convince other fellow faculty members to infuse some of the Feuerstein mm -hmm. concepts into their teaching while I could do it, of course, in a major way uh, because I, I had been trained. And I had very mixed success, uh, but mm -hmm. um, uh, there, there has to be some way of breaking through that particular barrier. Uh, the universities are a very uh, special kind of animal, as we both know, and that is mm -hmm. that a faculty member has a domain uh, which he or she has mapped out for themselves and uh, they have a certain way of doing things. And it's not like a teacher in a school where you can set up uh, uh, staff development uh, in a very easy way. Mm -hmm. uh, faculty development in universities does exist, but uh, I think that's one of the two major places where uh, we have to continue to work. Mm. Uh, not that that will eliminate the need for in-service education because it won't, but uh, if we're talking about a widespread implementation of the program, the teacher education programs are the route to go. And the second, of course, is uh, working with administrators and administrator training programs in universities should also have a component about how important critical and creative thinking are in your school, much more important than achievement on a knowledge-based exam. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. that does lead me, lead me to a third, and that is the administrator is often under the gun, so to speak, of the state test results. And of course, that's uh, partly a political process. So I think we also have to somehow get to state boards of education because they are setting standards, which then lead to exams. And therefore, what you test is what yeah. you teach, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's a big job. And we're only nibbling away at the in-service component uh, to the degree that we can, mm -hmm. which is good. But mm -hmm. uh, if you want to do something on a systemic basis, this is, uh, mm -hmm. I think, the, what we have to do. Excellent. Well, David, it's um, an honor to have had you on Build a Brain, and I think you, you nailed it there with that last comment. Um, is there anything else you'd like to close with? Any last words of wisdom you'd like to give the listeners of Build a Brain? Uh, I don't really have uh, anything except to just uh, persist. And that is, um, let's all maintain this conviction and uh, this commitment to uh, the Feuerstein program. That will carry us through a lot of challenges. And uh, frankly, as it changed many lives, including mine and yours. So I would say uh, persist and keep the commitment going. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. We're not going to give up, are we? No. <laughs> we are not. Well, David, thank you for uh, spending this time with me and with the listeners of Build a Brain. And until uh, we meet again. Very good. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. Uh, bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Build a Brain podcast. If you're wanting to know more information on how to build a brain, please visit the website for the MindCap Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana at www.mind-cap.org. That's www.mind-cap.org. Children and adults from across the United States and Canada have found the cognitive help they needed at the MindCap Center. The specialized team is trained in all levels of the Feuerstein program and can literally help you or your child build a better brain. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.